Welcome to the Ludagogy Podcast, your monthly games-based learning earworm. I'm Sarah. And I'm Antonis. And in this episode, we are featuring Thorny Games, an analog game studio out of Washington, D.C. Um, you've been creating tabletop RPG and LARP games for quite a few years. And I read on your website, thornygames.com, that your work centers on the power and playfulness of language, which ties in perfectly with this month's theme. And uh, that you love games that let people see new things about the world through how we communicate, which is amazing. Uh, Thorny Games consists of two people, Catherine and Hakan, who have a mixed background in design, math, and linguistics. You are both involved in GenCon, the largest tabletop game convention in North America, and your games have won multiple Game of the Year awards. Today we have with us Catherine Himes, which is a uh, 50% of the learning games. So welcome to our podcast, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, my, uh, my uh, co-founder, co-designer uh, and uh, design partner is uh, Hakan Seilaola. Um, but uh, I am at least the 50% uh, right now um, of the leads. We also work with a bunch of fine folks who are, um, you know, part of the Thorny Games crew and actually make all of these games happen as well. Um, but, but we are the, the two full time. Nice. Uh, we usually like to ask a fun fact about our guests, but uh, I already saw one that you mentioned at least twice. So I want to ask you about um, why do you like mentioning that you're a bad theremin player? <laughs> oh, you know, I yeah, so th that's a good question why I bring it up. And it's probably one that I should look inward on. Um, I love playing music uh, and like play in general is just a theme in my life, obviously with the games. Um, but, but with music, it comes up a bunch. And, uh, at some point I just became hungry to like learn and try as many new instruments as possible. And, uh, at one point, my object of fascination was the theremin, um, which is, uh, an iconic instrument heard on, you know, many, uh, sci-fi, uh, theme songs, things like it, you know, it almost has this human voice like quality, but, you know, it's entirely, uh, sort of controlled through, um, through, uh, you know, manipulating, uh, a, the a magnetic field through your hands. And so it, uh, it ends up having this very embodied experience of play, but it is hard to play. Uh, and so, um, I think I just wanted to own that I'm a bad theremin player so that maybe someday I can graduate up to a better theremin player. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might, uh. End up adding a background sound of theremin while you're speaking about it. Um, maybe you can tell us uh, a couple of words about games that you have created. Yeah, yeah. So um, thank you for the intro about Thorny Games. Like, uh, like you said, you know, we are a um, an uh, independent uh, story game focused studio. So all of our games are, are really focused on um, helping people tell stories, often collaboratively. Uh, and um, many of our games focus on doing interesting things with language. Uh, and we also uh, get to work sometimes, you know, with academics, nonprofits, um, and uh, folks in industry who are looking to use games uh, to help people uh, do things, you know, build playful systems around problems. Uh, and so anyway, games are, are just an interesting way of looking at the world in terms of how to better facilitate things, like how to help people and, you know, incentivize certain kinds of behaviors. Um, and, uh, and I love looking at the world that way. But a couple of our games that uh, are maybe more prominent, especially in the space of um, more uh, 
let's say, uh, play communities around role-playing games are games like Dialect. Um, Dialect uh, is a game about uh, a community that uh, is in isolation. And you tell the story of this community over its beginning, rise, and fall. And as you do that, you also build up pieces of their language. And so by telling the story of the community, you're building up this little dialect, this uh, slang, this uh, you know um, private uh, way of communicating together that becomes kind of a mirror of the story. And so that is a game that's been published and out in the world, and we're very grateful for the players and player communities that come out of it. Most uh, exciting to me, as you'd imagine, is also just the play that it gets internationally. It's been translated into uh, a number of languages, and then many folks kind of put their own spin on it in terms of their uh, individual, let's say, backdrops or um, play sets that come with it. So, like, you know, what what you know, what is a Japanese role playing community want to play in, you know, versus a Korean role playing community versus, you know, something that might be North American. And it uh, it's just always fascinating to, to hear about it. Um, and then another game of ours uh, that's more in the LARP uh, example is called Sign. Um, and that is a game that is based on or it's inspired in part by um, a true story of the. Um, the origin of Nicaraguan Sign Language, um, which is special because it is a, an emergent language in modern times that comes from, from children, from a um, set of deaf children in Nicaragua over the uh, 80s or 70s, 80s and 90s. So I, I, feel, I feel like my question that I was going to ask is a little bit redundant now because you just told us such a good example there. <laughs> but I was just wondering if you could um, tell us about whether or not you have a process for getting ideas for games. Yeah, you know, we we don't really have an official process. Uh, we have a, a, we have a process when it comes to uh, people approaching us when they want to collaborate. Um, oftentimes, like, and and there's some really exciting things that have come from these kinds of collaborations. We have a history as a design studio that is making things around communication, and so sometimes people that have interesting either research questions around communication or um, a problem that they're looking to solve will come and and. Uh, uh, Ask if if you know we are the right people uh, to try and tackle them with. One interesting example there is uh, a really amazing project that we were involved with called Aphasia Games for Health, uh, which is uh, a, a project in collaboration with researchers at the University of Pittsburgh who are focused uh, on uh, different kinds of um, speech uh, language therapy, as well as people from within the aphasia community. Uh, and then game designers coming together to make games that are based on therapeutic principles. Um, I recommend people check out Aphasia Games uh, for health.com if they're interested in looking more. That's an example of like, oh, a, a great merging of, of different uh, folks coming uh, and uh, bringing to us an idea that uh, that felt like um, a really amazing opportunity to, to be part of. Um, but when it comes to our own process for games that are original from the studio, it often is some kind of uh, nugget of inspiration that we feel like one is timely for us in that we just can't get it out of our minds. Um, maybe it's a story, maybe it's a game mechanic, but it feels like that it is something that um, occupies a lot of our attention. And then separate from that, we also are drawn to things that we feel like can sustain our attention because it's hard to make games. 
And so knowing that it's hard to make games, especially if you want to get them out into the world, you really need to be confident that you're going to be able to withstand sort of the ups and downs of what it is to actually put out, especially a physical product. Uh, And then we often are thinking about whether or not we are the right people to be making this game and what are the things that we're bringing to it uh, that, uh, that might really be the catalyst for this coming out into the world versus whether or not it really should be someone else. Uh, and so a, a lot of the games that we're thinking about putting out often around some perspective of our own worldviews or language uh, that is related to either you know my background as a linguist um, and then um, my co-designer and co-founder's background as sort of a multilingual, multicultural, multiracial person uh, and the experience of both of these kind of out into the world. And then often we're then looking for collaborators to really flesh out and um, make more, um, you know, representative, just uh, different ideas that, that are coming around. But really, it has to be something that is is going to sustain us and that feels like it comes from us. I, I love how you, you really focus on games that have an impact on often misrepresented or underrepresented communities. And uh, what you just said gives me a good segue to ask the next question, because I want to ask about mechanics. And in general, I wanted to ask you about if you have a favorite mechanic and uh, how you utilize it. But I take inspiration from the game Sign, because that's the game I discovered you from. Oh, wonderful. And uh, <laughs> in this game, uh, I find it like incredible <laughs> how we came up with this, because <laughs> um, the game is in silence and you are uh, playing children in their first day in school and you're creating your own language. Like it's, I can't even begin to think how you came up with that idea. So um, yeah, I'd like you to maybe tell me more about that, but um, focus specifically on those, on this mechanic. Like I'm really wondering how you came up with that. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's great to hear that you had a good experience with sign too. And that, uh, you know, I think that, as someone who's, you know, working in language, and I think that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing uh, you're a multilingual person too, uh, Antonis. Uh, <laughs> so, so you tell me. <laughs> uh, <Two> counts. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely counts. Um, but it, uh, you know, it, there is just uh, this incredible human capacity for being playful with language. It's the way our brains work. And right now it's also a strange moment where now we're seeing AI be able to kind of operate, uh, you know, on, on these terms that feel much more human. And it's a, it's a really, uh, you know, fascinating and alarming point, you know, for people, I think around the world as we grapple with that. But the truth is, is just that like language is playful and we're really good at it. And, uh, and I think that uh, that is really kind of the core insight that comes into a, a lot of the game mechanics that we have around language building, and that a lot of language building is in some ways just connection building between people. And so I, I think with a game like like Sign or or Dialect or some of our other games that are also around either you know grappling with language, playing with it, making it together, and have it be part of, you know, your private in-group speak is, is really just leaning into the, the natural things that, that people do with the kind of right support from a rule system. Like sign provides things in terms of cards and, um, you know, very specific points of sort of guidance around what kinds of language you might want to introduce. So it gives sort of the right amount of, or hopefully, you know, the right amount of framing to, to get people to get started while also giving them enough space to let them make it their own. 
Uh, and so we're often balancing those two different kinds of things when it comes to game mechanics. Like what what is the progress in the story that needs to happen that's a part of the game overall? Uh, and how does that need to reflect in the language that people are creating? And then uh, on the other side of that, like are we giving people enough space to really uh, take this in a direction that, that interests them? Um, and so that, that's what I'd say about that. But but one one mechanic I was thinking about too that uh, that is not quite language related, but I think that is really, uh, you know, at least on my mind for uh, and an interesting part of, of our game dialect in particular uh, is actually just the way that uh, character generation happens. And, and it's one that, uh, uh, that that really took a while to get to. So dialect is about um, is about a community that you're a part of, um, but that's isolated from some other larger community. So by that, I mean, like, imagine you might be uh, the first uh, group of ships that land to Mars and uh, communication with Earth has been cut off for some reason. And enough time passes so that you are your own uh, Martian settlement and you have your own ways of doing things and surviving. You know, that could be one example. Maybe another example is that uh, you're a bunch of thieves and you have to have your own private way of speaking, even in front of other people. And so you might be surrounded by people, but you have your own identity as thieves that are just trying to make it, you know, out in the world. So there's some idea of group and uh, and a relationship to some outer group. And the way that, I, you know, you do character generation in, in dialect is that you have some basic statements about the world and what's important to the world. And these are called aspects. So maybe on our Martian settlement, it might be that like, oh, we're all here because um, we, uh, you know, we used to work for NASA and then there was a big uprising and uh, decided that, uh, that we were going to get to Mars before Elon Musk. And, uh, and so we're the former, uh, like, you know, NASA revolutionaries, maybe that, that might be one statement. Another might be that we are, uh, you know, we deal with sandstorms all the time. There's just Martian sandstorms are a big part of our life. And maybe they're a part of our religion or just like our traditions and these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, maybe a third is that the way that we uh, think about our lives is through or that we have to make do is through trucking. Like maybe we're always like moving things from one point to another on the, the red planet. And with these statements, uh, there's a mechanic that allows you to draw an archetype where you talk about yourself like maybe I'm the adventurer or maybe I'm an explorer or maybe I'm the leader or I'm the zealot. Um, but you all are kind of aligning towards one of these aspects you've defined, uh, but making it your own in some way. So you're kind of defining your relationship to the community and each other just in how you feel about these aspects. So it's, it's pretty simple. It's all just done through cards. Uh, but uh, something that's really interesting about it is that it kind of captures this right level of coherence for a community in that like, okay, if you're actually part of a group, there's some things that you all that are important to all of you but you probably feel differently about them. And that, that level of feeling differently about them creates a really interesting tension around play that we really like because it's not explicitly stating, hey, you who are playing the zealot are in opposition to the leader because you really think differently about what happened back on Earth when we had that NASA revolution. Um, but it's that kind of stuff that naturally comes out in play. And so it, it's kind of giving people the recipe, the ingredients for it, uh, and then they can take it where they want to go. Um, and so it's, it's a, not a language mechanic, but it's one that really, I think, reflects a nice 
degree of character generation that isn't too prescriptive. Yeah, but I, I find that um, in in role playing games and especially live action role playing games, the way you perceive the relationships between the characters uh, kind of defines the game without prescribing what they should be doing. It allows for 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 the players to give their own flavor, to make their own choices, but with predefining uh, a structure that uh, that that um, suggests the relationships between the characters, then you make the game what what the what the essence of the game is basically and that's that's essentially communication yeah. you just control one aspect of communication and then the rest just falls into play based on how people do that which which is like language <laughs> i didn't think of it, it that is, way yeah. before <laughs> a lot of totally a lot a lot of these games and you know other people have really thought about this um in, in greater depth too i i know um there's some interesting writing by the uh, the bakers who uh, are, are well known for the game um, Apocalypse World, many other great games, but they really talk about um, role playing as as conversation mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and you know thinking about uh, conversation design uh, is uh, is a really fascinating way of thinking about game design, and and I think that there's there's a lot there that interests me too. Oh, it's funny. I was just thinking uh, about sort of Powered by the Apocalypse games as you were as you were talking about the. Um, the aspects and so on, because it sounded very much like the sort of playbooks and that that kind of sort of setup you get in uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games. And I, I think it's a really it's a really great move away from well not away from but sort of complementary to sort of game systems like Dungeons and Dragons, which are far more prescriptive about you know somebody's in control of the story. Um, yeah, I, I love this this new kind of looseness. I guess it, it's really opening up. The, the opportunities for people to create their own narrative. Yeah, very prevalent in live action role play. I think yeah. that's 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 why yeah. I, I fell in love with live action role play recently. <laughs> it gives this freedom of expression that's while awesome. at the same time uh, finding really creative ways to control the narrative without controlling the narrative. Yeah, definitely. LARP is also my favorite, even though I end up playing more tabletop. <laughs> um, but uh, once once you've tasted LARP, yeah. I feel like that. That's the sweetest morsel. <laughs> 100% relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's a lot of, lot of people who will be listening to this who are who, who listen to this this uh, uh, podcast to, to get kind of insights into the, the way that people do games design. So um, I was just wondering, what, what, what's, what's the biggest challenge that you've ever faced and what can we learn from that about how you overcame it? Oh, well, you know, I, I, there's a host of challenges to choose from specifically, but I would say that even like a more generic challenge is that when you're a small, smaller studio, um, and you're making physical games, really any kind of games that are going out into the world, there's just so much that isn't actually about game design that you need to do and, and that need to be a part of what you care about. If ultimately what you're trying to get out into the world is the best product you can. And, uh, there's so much around the physical manufacturing of games, what it is to, you know, employ people across the entire spectrum of, you know, design and editing and, and artistry and layout design and more and more and more. And, you know, as the people that are ultimately shepherding some of these projects, you really need to uh, be able to collaborate with others, but also have a vision for what you want, communicate that out. 
understands like the intricacies of what it is to again manufacture something uh and then uh, you know in the in the pandemic all of that has been uh just that much more complicated especially around making physical things so like just such a you know legion of challenges that come out of that that aren't in you know like particular to our studio and that you know we face them but many other people too um but it's it's really all of these many other jobs besides being game designer that are still utterly critical in order to make a game that that end up being the, the trickiest. Mm. Games are not just art; they are a combination of different forms of art. So many <laughs> makes it like they adds the the challenges of each uh, form of art combined. <laughs> so many, yeah. The uh, um, my uh, you know my design partner uh, at some point needed to get like in depth information and knowledge around like the different kinds of black ink that are uh, used to print various oh. things, and you you get into this world of uh, you know uh, physical printing, and uh, it, it just goes so deep. You can rabbit hole on each of these, but it. Um, yeah, you, you start talking about supply chains and ports and, you know, how things get from one point to another. So, but that's just all, it's all part of it. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to games and playing games, what other games apart from your own, you enjoy playing, you like the most and you get inspired by the most you can reference? Oh, yeah. There, there's so many good games. Uh, and Yeah, what I, like I, I, you and I were both talking about uh, LARP, um, and uh, there are so many amazing uh, games in LARP uh, that uh, are really accessible uh, to be played in the same way that you could just gather a group of friends in your uh, living room and do live action role play and do it just over the course of an afternoon with a couple of hours. There's uh, amazing. Uh, just smaller LARPs that are coming out of uh, different kinds of other contests, contests or designers. One I'm thinking of is called the golden Cobra. Uh, they specialize in like this two to maybe four hour LARP format. Uh, and it, uh, or there, there are these smaller games that are, um, uh, I guess, uh, that are uh, uh, part of a process of, uh, soliciting uh, games every year uh, when it comes to a design challenge and then they're evaluated and judged um, but it uh, it ultimately produces just like really interesting cool fun stuff um, I'm thinking of one game in particular that uh, I recently was just talking to somebody about called we are roommates now this is a larp where you play as um, a human uh, on one side and also like uh, alien exchange students on another and you're trying to negotiate a roommate contract um, over the course of two hours. And it, it's just so beautifully done. It's delightful every time it's played. Um, that's like one like more lighthearted example. There's so many others. I really love the games that are coming out of uh, Jason Morningstar and Lizzie Stark's uh, game collaboration. They also make a lot of these smaller uh, LARPs that, and by small, I mean in terms of time investment more than anything else. Um, and Um, it, uh, they often are dealing with things that are really interesting around history, uh, or, or they have some other perspective on the world that just makes them, uh, you know, oh, you know, like you get a little taste of what it is to actually be something else for, for a small period of time. Um, and then I'd say the, the last thing is that I also just really love board gaming. That's where, where my, uh, original gaming, uh, life started, uh, and, 
uh, you know, I, I'm slowly getting back into it after having just played so many uh, role-playing games uh, for, for so long now. And it, um, it's been great just to go back to some old classics. Uh, my, my longtime favorite was the game Twilight Struggle, which is sort of a, a replay of the Cold War between two people, one representing the USSR and another representing the, the USA. Um, but there's just so much good stuff there. Um, so I, I am really loving rediscovering my, my own affection for board games. It reminds me more of Pandemic Legacy, this one. <laughs> yeah. So um, talking about uh, games, is there a particular designer, uh, games designer, whose work you really like? Because um, we're always looking for recommendations for somebody to come on the podcast as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many designers who, who I, I love and respect and uh, learn from. Uh, I guess the one that really comes to mind for me is um, a designer uh, whose name is Avery Alder. Um, Avery makes beautiful games. Uh, and, uh, you know, Avery's games are uh, just, you know, to me, as uh, just show me what, what a game could be. And uh, Avery has made uh, maybe maybe most well known as a game called Monster Hearts, uh, but uh, there there also is a, a very popular game called The Quiet Year, uh, which is a card based map drawing game around like one final quiet year before uh, the world ends, and uh, it uh, it's just a beautiful, accessible game that will like bring out such incredible amounts of play in people who've never even played a role-playing game before, um, all done through a deck of cards. Um, Avery also has a bunch of smaller games, which I love. Uh, maybe uh, one that's particularly dear to me is one called Ribbon Drive, where you uh, end up recreating these stories of uh, kind of uh, buddy movies about, uh, you know, road trips that uh, are all done to a playlist that you've made together. So all play kind of takes part um, on uh, top of a playlist that you've assembled as players. Uh, and it just leads to so many fun, poignant, heartfelt, like just juicy moments of play that, that I, I really love. Um, and so really everything that Avery does is something that, that I, I often admire and I'm interested in learning from. Yeah, a Avery's definitely on our list. Um, I think um, nice. A Dream Askew is one of my favourite games. I just love that game. Oh, and yeah. when you're talking about the smaller games, have you ever played Brave Sparrow? I've read it. I've not played it. Oh, it's lovely. It's so sweet. That is such a lovely oh. game. Um, and it just makes, you know, a walk out in the walk out in the street just sort of completely changes the the complexion of it and makes it playful oh. and, and, yeah. Yeah, no, Avery Elder is brilliant, <laughs> has to be said. <laughs> Absolutely. So Avery, if you're listening, you're our next guest. <laughs> <laughs> you're our most wanted list. <laughs> yeah, she should be. Many people in our audience are aspiring game designers, and we want to give them as much as possible for this podcast. It's one of our main uh, aims for creating this podcast. So uh, remembering all your career and the level that you are now, what piece of advice would you give to somebody just starting in game design? Ooh, yeah, this is a great question. Um, you know, I think that there's there's actually so much in terms of community support now when it comes to getting started, especially I'm 
speaking from the perspective of, of role-playing design or these, you know, more smaller games, LARPs themselves, there is such an amazing amount of learning that you can do uh, by both playing game systems that already exist, but also hacking them or building on top of them. And there are uh, certain game systems that are really designed and, you know, offer tools and communities that are actively hacking them in different ways, meaning that they're retheming them. They're, you know, adding new mechanics, they're um, changing them. And that is such an amazing just surface area and like playgrounds to have because there's a whole set of other people that you can uh, be talking with, be playing with. Um, but also you're starting from a place of a system that uh, has an audience already, like that already works, uh, you know, in and of itself, um, but that you can then be making very specific choices to build from. So, so that's one sort of generic piece of advice that I would give. Uh, in terms of just learning how to do system design, you can see what works and what doesn't. Uh, the um, I, I would say that you know I I still really like original systems kind of out in the world too. So you know you're not always just making the the same thing because you know different kinds of stories are supported by different kinds of systems. But it's it's just such a way of learning system design to to start tinkering in that way. Uh, the other thing I would say is actually just going back to the point about. Um, you know, it, it's tricky to make games. And so really making something that you are excited by uh, and that you think is an idea that really ought to be out in the world and that is going to keep your interest and energy over the course of making it, it finding that um, versus just making anything, at least it was really important for our studio. So there was a number of ideas I remember at the very beginning that we kind of tried because we just so eagerly were wanting to make games. But ultimately, like you have to really believe in it. And once we finally got onto an idea that that really felt like it was uh, true to something that we wanted to see out there, and also just um, was something that you know we might be able to to help usher out into the world in part, uh, that that was really the right uh, starting point to, to really begin to make interesting games. So, just to sort of wrap up, I guess. Um... Obviously, Antonis and I, I mean, Ludagogi is um, it's all about games based learning. So we're we're great believers in the idea that that games can can teach you a lot. So I was just wondering if there's anything that you've taken from your experience of of creating games, um, anything you've learned from that that you could apply to well real life outside of games. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I uh, um, I think that you know you start realizing. I think one thing with the, there's there's so much really and um, like I I love the process of playtesting uh, that you have to go through as, as a designer where you are taking an idea in different stages of development and then really putting it in front of people and having to communicate with them about what's the kind of feedback that you want but really realizing that like what they do with that idea is ultimately what that idea becomes. I mean, it's, it's interaction design. You're, you're giving, you know, a, a design in some stage of development to people, and then they are going to make it into what it, what it is. And, and I think that that idea of playtesting, getting feedback, but also asking for very particular kinds of feedback, knowing that, Hey, this game isn't at a point now where I need you to tell me that, you know, there's a misspelling on page five, right? You know, or, you know, uh, really it's like, I, I want you to look more into this particular mechanic and being able to have those kinds of conversations with people and then process the feedback, act on it uh, and decide what stuff that you are going to take to heart and change. And then what stuff you, you aren't because it's 
you know, you disagree with it or, or it isn't part of what your design goals are. I think like that, that is such an interesting revealing process when it comes to just so many things you can imagine in terms of designing your life around, you know, the idea of asking for feedback, uh, trying new things out uh, and showing people things in, in development, uh, getting their take, but then still having that fundamental conviction about what it is that you want to put out into the world so that you can kind of take the best of the feedback that you get, like listen to it earnestly, but also know when there's feedback you're not going to take and and go with it. And so just the whole process of playtesting is, is amazing. And there's a great convention that unfortunately hasn't happened the last couple of years for the pandemic, but that I've heard maybe coming back, uh, at least in the US, it's called Metatopia. And it is a um, convention that's all around game design and specifically playtesting. So you, uh, as designers, uh, are going and bringing different kinds of in-development projects. Sometimes they're very early, sometimes they're quite late. And then playtesters come and the whole uh, the whole experience is des designed around just getting this kind of feedback. And um, it's just such a great way to have the energy of all of these people kind of putting themselves out there in terms of design all at the same time in the same space. Uh, and then you might also be showing a design and then playtesting many other designs. It really just kind of gets this energy of creativity, vulnerability, making stuff together. And uh, and it's just genuinely very useful for putting a, a design through uh, just the ringer uh, and and learning what's great about it and what and what isn't it was so great about it. Uh, but um, I love that convention dearly. And I'm, I'm going to be so excited once it comes back. Yeah. Game conventions are also great places to just meet people apart from yeah. <laughs> playing games and connecting through games. Just the connection remains even when the game is over. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. It has been a pleasure having you with us, Catherine. Uh, if people want to know more about you and Thorny Games, where should they look? Yeah, it's been great chatting with both of you. And uh, we are online at thornygames.com. And uh, we often are using Instagram uh, as our sort of preferred right now social network. Uh, and uh, you can find us also at Thorny Games on Instagram. I will make sure to sign up and follow you right now, I think, because I'm just looking at Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> this has been the Ludogoyi Podcast. Game, Game over. over.